From Hamilton Place Strategies in Washington, D.C., this is the HPS Insights Podcast. Welcome to HPS Insights, a podcast from Hamilton Place Strategies, analyzing the current events impacting the business and political communities. I'm your host today, Brian DeAngelis, a managing director here at HPS, and I'm excited to welcome onto the show a couple of my colleagues, Andrea Christensen, Kobe Gordon, and Maggie Wang. This is our team behind the new quarterly analysis from HPS on congressional tweets. Andrea, Kobe, Maggie, welcome to Insights. Thanks so much for having us. I want to get started. So this is actually your, you guys just released your your second analysis, but let me just kind of back up to the start. I'd love maybe Andrea, if you could kind of explain the the genesis of this idea and why you guys decided to, to take a look at what members of Congress are doing on Twitter. Yeah, thanks, Brian. And I'm excited to be here with Maggie and Kobe, who've done such great work on this. I mean, HPS has really been working on leveraging text analysis for a while now um, as a way to help understand what people are talking about at a more granular level. And um, it was after the debates, actually, 2020 presidential debates, I think it was Axios did a quick hit on the language that was being used in the debates and the number of words that were used by different candidates. And I remember thinking this would be really cool to do and look at what Congress is talking about and where's, where, where's Congress talking while well, they're talking on Twitter. And um, that's a really great way to understand what is really being thought about in Congress and how they're talking about certain issues. And so, um, you know, with the help of Kobe and Maggie, we kind of built out a methodology and decided to think, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's make it quarterly and let's see what comes of it. That's great. And, and tell me a little bit, um, Twitter, is probably obvious to all of us, but but why Twitter versus Facebook or LinkedIn or or their personal statements? What made you guys think of Twitter? Well, there's an actual answer and there's a technical answer. <laughs> I'll take um, both. <laughs> so so the first answer is really that's where um, members of Congress are engaging very very frequently. Uh, it's a place where. Uh, the conversation on Twitter often drives the news and drives the conversation. And so, and you basically have every single member of Congress on Twitter. Now one could say almost every single member of Congress is also on Facebook or in another forum, but Twitter, um, we have the ability to leverage the Twitter API to get the text of the tweets into a data format that we're able to use and analyze. That's great. That's great. And just before we go much further to clarify, this is the quote unquote official account for every member of Congress, right? Or are you guys looking at campaign accounts as well? We're looking at official accounts for members of Congress as well as congressional committees. So uh, C-SPAN actually keeps this updated. So we use uh, the the list that C-SPAN maintains and, and that's what that, that is. And Kobe, do you have something to add there? Nope, that's all I was going to say. Yeah, exactly. Um, we we base it off the C-SPAN list and also just keep an eye out to make sure we update it with, with any additions as well. Um, mostly that was relevant to the first quarter when there was a little bit more changing of, of positions there. Um, but now it's fairly set now that, you know, Biden uh, cabinet nominations are in and such. Great, great. Well, let's dive into it. What what are you all finding? What What jumped out at you in this last round of analysis? 
Maybe Maggie, I'll go to you on that one. Sure, great. I, I think we probably have different takes on what was like the biggest takeaway for me. I thought it was very interesting how we saw our general biggest takeaway is we saw this giant 500% jump in the number of mentions for infrastructure, which to some extent was expected because of the you know conversations happening on the right. Hill. But to the extent that it surprised me was that you know, the general volume, the overall volume of tweets member of Congress put out in the last quarter stayed relatively similar. It was, you know, in the 140 something thousand, 150 something thousand range. But you can see how like the jump in infrastructure tweet volume almost just got migrated from a sharp decrease in the number of tweets mentioning COVID-related topics. So, you know, instead of maintaining a certain level of attention on COVID, really there is just a shuffling of priorities on what member of Congress were tweeting. I don't know if Kobe and Andrea, you felt differently. Yeah, I think that that fits exactly with what, what I think there too. Um, and sort of shuffling priorities, I think, will continue to. Um, as we look towards Q3 as well, wh one thing particularly that we saw is the decline in um, mentions of COVID and vaccination. Um, and it'll be really interesting because I think Q2 was sort of a, a time period where that wasn't talked about a ton. And even just looking, we haven't run any analysis over the last couple of weeks, but particularly as we start talking about the new CDC guidance and the Delta variant and stuff, I think, you know, mentions of that might be picking up and it could be something that's discussed more again going forward. Yeah, I want to speculate really quick on a thread that Maggie started in terms of the migration of the topics versus an increase in, in tweets. And it, it makes you wonder if kind of staffers have like a set number of tweets they want to put out a day and, and what the difference is between, you know, members of Congress who let have their staff tweet for them or are engaged significantly on the platform themselves. And so that, that's kind of an interesting um, question. I don't know that we, we have the answer for that in the data. But another thing that stood out to me was we also looked at kind of the cadence of tweets, like when they get sent this, this quarter and that this is the first time we've looked at it. And I mean, it's somewhat unsurprising, but also kind of like, oh, duh, is you see these like, you know, peaks and valleys. And so it's, they're very active during the week, you know, Monday through Friday, and then it dips during the weekend. And, and again, that's expected. And then we had Memorial Day weekend, and you saw a big dip. And, and we looked at uh, D's and R's on both the House and the Senate. And it's very, very, um, you know, similar cadence. But what's interesting is, I got to look at this here, but I think it's, yeah, House, House Republicans consistently the lowest uh, volume of tweets um, of everyone. So I thought that was kind of interesting. That's an interesting point. And I, I was curious if you all had looked at, at some of the differences or similarities across, you know, the different chambers in Congress or, or the political parties. Sounds like House Republicans might be on the lower end. Are there any that, that really stood out as active tweeters? Yeah, totally. I can I can speak to that one. Um, I would say just as a group, Democrats were seeing tweet more, both looking at Q1 and Q2 there. Um, in Q1, I think it was even more pronounced, but in Q2, I think we had about um, Democrats making up about 61 or 62 percent of um, all the tweets that we saw from the quarter, um, and particularly House Democrats 
um, are most active. Um, so we actually track the top 10, sort of have a, a leaderboard. It started as a little bit of a fun project just to see. And it's, you kind of see some interesting trends looking at it. So one thing of note this quarter was that on the Democratic side, there was all, all of the top 10 was um, representatives. So you're really seeing that they're more active there. And then on the Republican side, we saw a lot of consistency, particularly at the top of the leaderboard. So John Cornyn, Senator John Cornyn from Texas, was the top tweeter for the second quarter in a row. So him and his staff are certainly hitting it hard on, on Twitter there, followed by Rep. Andy Biggs and then Senator Ted Cruz. So that's, that's the top three. And then we also just saw some shakeup. On, on the Republican side, the shakeup wasn't as pronounced. We only saw two new names drop off and get added on. So notable there was one of them was Matt Gates, who in uh, the first quarter was on the list and he dropped off, replaced by Rob Portman. Um, and just sort of somewhat speculative, but, you know, Gates had his uh, sort of scandal in the public in the first three months of the year. And I think was uh, mentioning that a lot and sort of giving the message out there. And Portman obviously was very involved in the infrastructure talks and I think sort of beating that drum. So that's part of the reason that he popped up um, onto the list there. Um, and then just looking at the Democratic side, uh, we saw four accounts turn over there, all new representatives that are that are on there. Um, but most interesting was maybe Representative Val Demings, who in the last quarter announced that she's running for Senate um, and has started to sort of uh, position herself for that as well. Going back to the Portman example, you know, I, I see the correlation there, right? The more he's in the spotlight, the more he's on the Sunday shows. It makes sense that he's more out there on Twitter. It didn't seem like the more popular members of both caucuses or both chambers were necessarily the biggest tweeters. I, I didn't see Pelosi or AOC or others in the in the top. Um, maybe asking you guys to speculate a little bit of that, but... Was that surprising to you when you guys were doing this analysis? I think a bit, yeah. And I think particularly um, like on the House side, there are some names and I think particularly the the more progressive members um, of House Democrats, I feel like get a rep for being very always plugged in on social media. And you see you see some of those folks on the top 10, but like AOC is not in the top 10 and it could just be uh, savviness with media too, that, that that they're good at reaching their constituents, but they're not necessarily just doing it on Twitter is maybe partially what we're seeing there. Um, but would also open it up to anyone else if, if you guys have thoughts as well. Yeah, part of it, this is also from a more technical aspect, we are tracking members' official accounts. For example, you mentioned AOC. AOC tweets a lot from her personal account, actually. Um, but we are for consistency purposes, because considering not everybody has a personal account, we do track their um, official account. Usually the handles have senator or rep um, in there and they, you know, tweet more, I guess, just official office matters from these accounts. So I think that's also a factor. Yeah. And I mean, it's just also, I mean, some, some have campaign accounts because there's still ethics rules, I think, um, on what you're allowed to right. tweet from official accounts. And so um, anyway, we had to make a call and we chose, we'll just use all the official accounts. So it'll keep it a nice, clean data set. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, going back to, to some of the issues, I know COVID had a drop off, but it looks like both parties talked about COVID a lot. Where, where did you see beyond just the overall volumes, like 
differences between what the two parties were talking about? That's a really good question. COVID is obviously um, super relevant to what we've seen talked about the first half of the year so far, looking back. And I would say just to set the scene, uh, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, Republicans are just tweeting less than Democrats on on aggregate. Um, So that's partially what we're seeing. But we also definitely have seen that both in uh, Q1 and Q2, like even controlling for the different amount that they're the the less that Republicans are tweeting. There's also definitely a, a factor where Democrats are just tweeting more about it, even relative to to the total volume controlling for that. Right. So. There's a, there's a big drop from Q1 to Q2 for both parties, actually, um, mm-hmm. talking about both COVID and the vaccine. So I think there's about a 55% decrease in COVID mentions quarter over quarter, um, just on aggregate there. But then just double clicking on the actual party specifics and the breakdown there, um, there's a bigger drop off in the amount that Republicans were tweeting about it quarter over quarter. So Republicans tweeted about COVID about 40% as much as Democrats in the first quarter, and then that dropped to 40% as much in the second quarter. So sort of a a reduction even on their already lower numbers that they had there. So I guess just to put that into perspective, that's Republicans are tweeting about four times mentioning COVID for every 10 times a Democrat is mentioning the term. And then another interesting interesting area as well that that I think is sort of is becoming has always been relevant. And now you're sort of seeing a lot around the Delta variant, but particularly just looking at um, mentions of the term vaccine is is interesting as well. And so there's about a 55% decrease when we're talking about COVID quarter over quarter, and there's a 60% decrease in mentions of vaccine. So an even bigger drop off there. Um, And interestingly enough, uh, Democrats actually saw a steeper decline in mentions um, of COVID. And I think partially that's just because the numbers were really high in Q1. You know, Democrats were really hitting that message super hard and it dropped off a bit. But re- Republicans are still in Q1 and even in Q2 are just mentioning the term vaccine quite a lot less than their Democratic counterparts. So for every four times that a Democrat mentions the term, a Republican on average mentions it only once. Um, so you're seeing um, sort of just a difference in the volume there. So I guess the big takeaway is that Republicans mentioned COVID and vaccination a lot less than Democrats overall. And there was also just a big decline, I think, on both parties in terms of mentions of all that quarter over quarter. So it'll be interesting to see moving forward um, what happens there on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. And, and to add there, I mean, one one thing on the broader Republicans tweeting less is so if you look at the one of the charts we have in, in our analysis looks at the top uh, topics. Right. And so bipartisan as a topic showed up for the first time uh, this quarter in, in these top five topics. And it showed up on the Republican side and it didn't show up on the Democratic side. And so, uh, you know, my initial thought was, well, maybe this is because as, at the, as the minority party right now in Congress, they, they are, you know, hammering for more bipartisan connections or work, what that might be on, on infrastructure. And so I asked, I asked Kobe about this and he goes, well, actually, Democrats tweeted the term bipartisan more than Republicans. It's just it didn't make it into their top um, five topics because they tweet so much more than Republicans. That's interesting. Well, that that sets up kind of one of my final questions that I wanted to ask. How are you guys using this or, or how are you sharing this? And could our clients use it like as this comes out every quarter? What do you how are you guys promoting it and, and pushing it out there? Well, um, 
Well, one, we have to thank our most prolific tweeter, Senator John Cornyn, who um, shared an article in Texas Monthly that um, that cited our work um, about how how much he tweeted. And and it was like, what is he tweeting about? And he he tweets about a lot of stuff. Um, I think he's one of those that probably uh, does it on his own. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so, so that, that's been helpful. You know, we've been, uh, sharing it with, with, uh, our list. We've, we've been trying to get some media coverage on it. Um, you know, and, and I think from a client perspective, it just, it's an example of, of some of the insights we're able to glean from data sets. So one thing, and, and maybe Maggie can, can speak to this, um, or, or Kobe, because one thing we found, Hey, there's a 500% increase in the conversation on infrastructure, but the conversation on infrastructure has also been interesting because there's traditional infrastructure, roads, bridges, all right. that kind of stuff. But then there's this uh, new emphasis from the Biden administration on human infrastructure and human capital. And so that would be, you know, other things like childcare and paid leave and, 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 and things that um, we're, we're trying to include in this broader infrastructure package. And so one thing that we wanted to look at was when people are tweeting about infrastructure, do they mean traditional infrastructure or are they uh, talking about this kind of other type of human infrastructure? And so Maggie and Kobe have started to look into this a little bit deeper. And so maybe Maggie, if you want to jump in there. Just to continue that point, generally we do see that traditional infrastructure has, and I want to word this carefully, a more visible increase from Q1 to Q2. I think that is partially due to a, you know, in the infrastructure debate, things that members of Congress probably don't tweet a whole lot about. Like, I wouldn't imagine uh, members of Congress doing just year round without this infrastructure discussion backdrop, you know, gets up every day and says, wow, we really need to, you know, mend our roads or, you know, get our high speed rail going. So we really did see that this entire conversation on the Hill about the infrastructure drove up Twitter mentions of some of these traditional infrastructures, not only roads and bridges, but also water, also gas, um, broadband, et cetera. Um, That said, some of the more intangible elements of human infrastructure, like education, childcare, uh, environmental policy, climate change related issues, they have also consistently been talked about a lot. I think one of the reasons is these issues are more relevant to constituents' day-to-day life. Um, So when members of Congress are considering or their offices are considering the audience that they tweet to, they are inclined to tweet more about these. For us, it is harder to measure how the conversation about infrastructure affected conversations on issues like childcare and education. For example, because education has consistently, for example, been a hot topic for both Democrats and Republicans. They are constantly in the top 10 um, things that are most discussed. Everybody talks about schools and the need for care. And so in terms of that, it is a little bit more complicated or complex to measure how, you know, current conversations about the bill has affected these aspects. That's great. That's great. Well, I I appreciate you guys coming on and talking about this as a congressional nerd myself. I've enjoyed the analysis the last two quarters. And maybe before I let you guys go, I'd I'd love 
you know, maybe some predictions or, or what are you guys looking for in this next analysis that I, I suspect we'll, we'll publish around October uh, or so after the quarter ends. I'm always interested in like how August recess, um, mm-hmm. you know, changes what people talk about, how often they talk about. And I mean, if you look at the user base on Twitter, I mean, it's, it's, it's sometimes different than the constituents people go home to. And so um, I think that it'll be interesting to see if we see a market decline in the number of tweets, um, if it if it goes up uh, in terms of, of specific topics, predictions, I, I think Kobe's point on COVID and the Delta variant and, and, and that is going to be interesting to look at. Um, but I'll turn it back over to him. That's what I was going to say. It's just I think the, the COVID debate, obviously, I mean, it's much more driven on the news and development of the pandemic. But it's going to be really curious to see, you know, as things develop, are we are we going to see people, you know, step up and talk a lot more about vaccinations or um, sort of incentives there, because I know that's something that's really emerged over the last couple of weeks and certainly something that we're going to be watching closely on our end, too, just to make sure we capture. Um, I think personally, I just think it's really interesting how members are talking about this and how that sort of relates to the way that their constituencies behave. And then another piece that I think that we've sort of seen in the last week, and we've been tracking these mentions from uh, the beginning of from January 1st. Um, We've been we've been following uh, mentions of January sixth and the insurrection there, um, and uh, mm-hmm. had had some volume on that in Q one, dropped down a decent bit in Q two. But obviously, in the last week, we've had some news around the the hearing that was happening around the January sixth commission there. So it'll be interesting to see if that's like just a little blip or if it becomes a larger thing that people are continuing to talk about. And then the other big thing is infrastructure is big this quarter. And I think it'll be interesting to see just what the next big policy area is that members take on and sort of are focused on as as reflected in their mentions of what they're talking about on Twitter. I have probably an unpopular, very niche thing that I am watching. I'm actually very curious on how um, the conversation around tax and tax credits continue to Mm -hmm. evolve. I think especially when it comes to the reconciliation process, or if this discussion on infrastructure keeps going, there will be a lot more conversation about both tax credits for children and pay leave, et cetera, and also for clean energy. Um, Tax, we have consistently seen, it is a very much popular, much talked about, uh, or I guess a word that gets used a lot in both uh, parties tweets and it has been used under different contexts like the Republican Party will be more keen on tweeting about the tax reform versus Democrats tweet more about taxes on top capital gains for example so very interested mm-hmm. to see how that continues to evolve yeah I think you're right there and I for one am very excited to see the next analysis when it comes out. And I want to thank you all for joining and for any of our listeners interested in in learning more about Andrea, Maggie, and, and Kobe's work, you can find their analysis on our website, hamiltonplacestrategies.com. And you can find out more about HPS and the work we do there or by following us on Twitter at HPS Insight. I'm your host, Brian DeAngelis. As always, thank you for listening to another edition of HPS Insights. 
Thank you for listening to the HPS Insights Podcast, produced by Hamilton Place Strategies. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at HPS Insights, and follow us on the web at HamiltonPlaceStrategies.com.